How's it going out there? Dave Smith here, just dropping in to say thanks to everybody for listening to the podcast. I hope you find these talks helpful, and I've been trying to update them regularly. This is an interview with me and Stephen Batchelor discussing his program, Mindfulness-Based Ethical Living. It's a program him and I will be teaching starting January 2024. Very excited about it. There's an online component with two seven-day retreats. If you want to find out more, just head over to davesmithdharma.com and sign up for my email list. And I suspect there'll be more here about it. Take care, y'all. Hi, Stephen. Good to see you. Thanks for being with me this morning. Hello, Dave, and everyone else who's listening. Um, yeah, it's great to be together. Um, so, yeah, we just want to explore some questions for people. So the basic question is, what is MBEL? What is mindfulness-based ethical living? In, in, in the shortest way, you can sum that up if it's even possible. <laughs> well, um, I think one one way to look at MBEL is basically as an uh, an expansion of uh, other mindfulness based uh, trainings. Like we're all familiar with MBSR, MBCT, but these are very much approaches that are based on a therapeutic model. In other words, um, you come with some like anxiety or panic attacks or whatever it might be. And you use mindfulness as an intervention to uh, basically to heal that uh, crisis. Now we can take that into other areas of life, but the, the main purpose of MBSR and MBCT is fundamentally therapeutic. It's about healing something that is causing us distress or suffering or pain. Uh, I've got no issue with that whatsoever. I think it's a wonderful thing. But it struck me that we need to be more, we need to be doing more than just offering a therapeutic intervention to a specific problem in our lives. And it's at that level that we need to think of mindfulness much more broadly than being simply a therapeutic intervention. Um, and it seems to me that if we expand our understanding of mindfulness, according to how mindfulness operates within the context of the four tasks or the four paths, the four tasks, let's say, embracing suffering, letting go of reactivity, seeing reactivity stop, and cultivating a way of life, then we can see how mindfulness uh, assumes a different role in each of those four tasks. Um, only in the second task, letting go of reactivity, is it specifically therapeutic. In other words, it's about how do we uh, not get entangled in all of these mental habits and emotional patterns that keep overwhelming us and getting us stuck and anxious and alienated and so on and so forth. And mindfulness at that level, letting go of reactivity, is quite clearly a therapy. It's a, it's a form, form of healing and curing. But to then assume that exactly the same kind of mindfulness would be applicable to the task of embracing life or seeing the stopping of reactivity or cultivating a path, I think is, is mistaken. I feel that the Buddha uses mindfulness in different ways according to the particular task of these four tasks that is being performed. So the first task, embracing life, uh, clearly needs mindfulness to be able to embrace life, but it's not a mindfulness that is primarily therapeutic. It's a mindfulness that is existential, I would call it. So an existential mindfulness is being mindful of the condition of your existence, 
which extends from being aware of the fact that you've been born, you'll get sick, you'll grow old, and you'll die. It's about holding in mind what it is to be a human being in this world now. Now, that's uh, in a practice of meditation, that's something that we clearly uh, base the practice on, uh, that we start with an acceptance of our state of mind, our state of body, our state of feeling, and so on. And that's where we proceed from. So that kind of mindfulness is just const- is not losing sight of our existential condition. So it's existential mindfulness. The mindfulness that we need to, to, to not get caught up in the entanglements of reactivity is a different kind of mindfulness. It's it, it requires that we notice the reactivity, uh, that, that we see it when it occurs, and the earlier we see it, the better. So m- meditation, which gets the mind calmer, allows us to see the first stirrings of reactive habits, like ang- we're getting angry or we're getting lustful or whatever it is. And uh, then seeing it that way, we can learn to take a step back and just notice it as a process it's not good, it's not bad, it's simply how conditions are manifesting in this moment now. And that is a very therapeutic usage of mindfulness. But when the mind has calmed down and um, reactivity has has, 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 has has come to some kind of a stop, then you move into another kind of mindfulness again. The mindfulness that sees the stopping of reactivity, when we become mindful of the non-reactive space itself. In the second task, we're being mindful of reactivity so we can let it go. In the third task, we're being mindful of what it's like, what it feels like to be non-reactive so we can establish another ground in our experience from which to then engage with the world. And then the fourth mindfulness, um, which occurs in the Eightfold Path, um, is neither existential, therapeutic, or contemplative, but it is um, ethical because the mindfulness of the Eightfold Path is is, is to be mindful of what our values are, is to be mindful of what we consider this life to be for, it's to be mindful of our motivations, our resolves, and it's to be mindful of the consequences that our thoughts, our words, and our acts will have on not only ourselves, but other people on the environment, on the planet, and so forth and so on. So that is a very different kind of mindfulness. Um, It is holding in mind. It's being mindful of your values. The third, in the third task, it's being mindful of non-reactivity. In the second task, it's being mindful of reactivity. And in the first task, it's being mindful of uh, one's existential condition as a human being who is born and is going to die. So Embel starts from there. It starts with a much more elaborated notion of mindfulness. It doesn't think of mindfulness as just one thing. It thinks of it as four different ways of operating in the world according to the different uh, tasks that we are engaged in on the path. Embel, therefore, um is a it, it, it is a, a a practice that um extends the use of mindfulness into the whole of our lives and is not primarily concerned with resolving a problem like panic attacks or depression it's about enabling us to flourish more fully as human beings in the world so in other words it has a positive goal 
uh, flourishing rather than a negative goal and getting rid of anxiety or getting rid of suffering, as the Buddhists might put it. Great. No, that's great. I, I love it. Uh, I love to hear it unpacked that way because it, it has different purposes on different occasions for different things that our life mm -hmm. is dynamic. Uh, what was your inspiration or really your motivation behind uh, developing a program like this? Well, um, it's always difficult to say in retrospect how you arrived at a certain idea. It, it's something organic. It's something that grows. It's something is that is sort of you know, processed unconsciously for a while, and then suddenly everything kind of falls into place. I think it, it comes from two things. It, on the one hand, uh, it, you know, I, I was very, I'm very impressed with the work of John Kabat-Zinn and others who have developed these mindfulness-based programs. And one of the reasons that I find that uh, valuable is because they can they found a way of bringing mindfulness into people's lives without their having to mention Buddhism. It's not anymore a religious practice belonging to a certain world religion. It's simply understood now as a, uh, it's a common, uh, it's, it's a human commons. It's something we all have in common. Um, and mindfulness is not exclusively the monopoly of Buddhists. So it seemed to me that we need to, that, that, that it would be good to be able to find a similar kind of approach to MBSR, but one that uh, goes further, that perhaps what could be built onto an, an MBSR practice. And I think that's also one of the reasons I developed it, because I met many, many people who came on my, who come on my retreats uh, or attend workshops or simply people I meet in the course of my life um, who say, you know, I've done an eight-week mindfulness course. It's a fantastic practice. I really enjoy it, but I don't want—I don't know what to do next. I don't particularly want to become a Buddhist. In fact, a lot of people who do MBSI then knock on the door of their local Buddhist center and then run a mile. It's just yeah. not what they're looking for. Yeah. So what I feel we need is an approach uh, to mindfulness that keeps it within the same secular sphere. In other words, doesn't uh, suddenly become all religious on you. But at the same time, um, extends the use of mindfulness in a way that would be more compatible with a broad Buddhist approach to life. So, in other words, to try to secularize the Buddhist framework in which mindfulness has traditionally been understood, not just to secularize mindfulness itself, but right. to actually secularize the four truths, which in my language become the four tasks, that's a secular move. Uh, and then to interpret each of these tasks as requiring the practice of a particular set of virtues, which is coming from classical Buddhism. But that, too, is no longer necessarily uh, something we have to refer back to Buddhism to practice. We can do these things whether or not we consider ourselves Buddhists, whether or not we consider ourselves religious. Embell uh, gives us a sufficiently complex and comprehensive framework for living a, a flourishing life. Uh, Buddhism is kind of irrelevant at that point. So, yeah, the, you're kind of trying to secularize the whole project. Yeah, exactly. So this would be, Embel in some ways is basically a refinement of the idea of secular Buddhism or secular Dharma. Mm. Um, but the difference would be that you could practice Embel without having to be a secular Buddhist. Don't have to be a mm. Buddhist at all. Right. Uh, Buddhism is really not, it's not Nothing in any, it, yeah. 
It's nothing to do with it, really. Um, you may get a lot of inspiration and help from Buddhism, but basically you can do the core practice uh, that I feel the Buddha laid down um, without having to, uh, uh, in a sense, be involved with, Buddhist, with, with, with Buddhism as a religion whatsoever. Yeah. yeah, and the next question, you kind of addressed it a little bit, but I'm just curious for people who are watching this, who might this be for? And maybe you don't even know, but but it sounds like you unpacked it a little bit. What kind of person might be drawn or interested or might benefit? Do you have to have a lot of practice? Can you be brand new? Well, what is what is your thinking on that? Well, it seems to me there are three types of people who could benefit from this. Uh, initially, people who have already established a mindfulness practice in, let's say, a setting of MBSR or one of the other mind, mind, mindfulness uh, trainings uh, to have a basis in MBSR is the ideal basis for practicing MBEL. You've already kind of got the groundwork laid and this is MBEL gives you an opportunity now to, to elaborate and to develop that further. The second group of people who may be drawn to this are people who've been practicing Buddhism for some time, but for whatever reason, it's not working for them. And yet they're not the sort of people who would you know, be satisfied with MBSR. Maybe you've been practicing Theravada or Tibetan Buddhism for 10 years. MBSR is kind of kid stuff, really, for such people. They're looking for something more, more uh, embracing, more inclusive, more, in a sense, rigorous than just simple MBSR. So those people would be another community. Uh, so in other words, jaded Buddhists, uh, ex-Buddhists, <laughs> post-Buddhists, yeah. uh, people who still deeply value the principles and the values of the Buddhist tradition, but are not comfortable with, with, within particular Buddhist uh, uh, traditions or frameworks or schools. And also, of course, you don't have to adopt any of the Buddhist metaphysics of rebirth and karma. That stuff is really just not playing a role at all. And the third group of people who might benefit from this um, is the largest group because it includes anybody. Anybody who wants to live a fuller, richer, more flourishing, more imaginative, creative, kind, compassionate, and uh, uh, and, and and you know and, and fulfilling life could perhaps benefit from doing an MBL training. Uh, that's a bit of a grandiose statement to make, but I guess that's one of the reasons too that um, I'm interested in developing these projects because I think they have a relevance to pretty much anyone who's a human being. I'm with you. Yeah, and just lastly. Um... You know, we're doing this course. It's eight months. There's going to be two seven days retreats. There's going to be a lot of stuff online where you're going to be able to join us online. Uh, and you know, being the creator of this and kind of giving it out to the world and letting people kind of work work with it uh, the way they want to, myself included. Uh, anything you want to say? Are you are, in, in which ways are you excited about this or curious about where it goes or or uh, you know, just being able to see this stuff starting to actually go out and and and, and you know, be cultivated and be established? Is there anything? about that that's exciting or interesting for you? Well, well, the only thing that's really exciting and interesting for me is to uh, give is, is to see how these ideas are then applied in the hands of others. Um, I don't see myself as someone who's going to develop a, an eight-week course in MBEL. That's not my skill set, um, and nor really particularly my interest to, to figure out how to actually teach these things. 
But there are many people like yourself, Dave, and like many others who are trained in mindfulness teaching, they're trained as Vipassana teachers, who are who are very, very well placed to take this model and see how it runs, see what they can uh, do with it, how they can develop it in their own way. The last thing I want it to become is a kind of you know orthodoxy, another kind of system uh, with a you know with, with a kind of with fixed doctrines and dogmas and beliefs, and you have to sign up to some kind of whatever. No, I I, I really feel that this is a, a, a this is a dana from me. Uh, it's a gift um, to the wider world. Um, and um, I'm curious to see, A, whether it takes off at all, and B, if it does take off, in what way and on what scale. I have no particular fantasy or ambition as to what it should be doing. Uh, that's very much in the hands of those who teach it. And uh, I want this to be an, a set of ideas that will empower people rather than make them dependent upon the thought of Stephen Batchelor or some institution that then sets itself up to teach it. I want this to be very much uh, a free gift uh, that uh, people with good intentions and, 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 uh, and good skill sets can translate into ways of life that will benefit as many people as possible.